invite you to turn to the back of your hymn book, Lord's Day 9, page 876. 876? We'll open God's Word to the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, and then we'll turn for our text to Hebrews 11, verse 3. It asks the question, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father for the sake of Christ, his Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. Let's open our Bibles now to Genesis chapter 1. I trust a familiar chapter to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them 
in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abound, abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth a living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping, creeping thing and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Let's turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and verse 3. Our text, Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith... We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So far the reading of God's holy word. The Bible begins with words that are very simple yet very profound. They are simple enough to be understood by the young children in our midst, yet they are so profound that theologians, philosophers, and scientists could discuss them for thousands of years. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What are we to make of those words? 
As you know, there are some who insist that the opening chapters of Genesis are certainly not to be taken at face value. They are merely nice stories written before the modern scientific age. Obviously, they are not historically trustworthy. Some maintain that Genesis is nothing more than a collection of myths and legends. Various writers have emphasized an allegorical approach to its meaning, especially when it comes to the first 11 chapters. There are those who reject the historicity of the first chapters of Genesis, yet maintain that there are theological values and lessons that can be learned by a spiritualizing interpretation of the text. Brothers and sisters, what are we to make of the various conflicting interpretations? Should we be open to the suggestion that the biblical creation account is merely symbolic, poetic, allegorical, or mythical? Are the first three chapters of the Bible really just a a series of literary devices? No, brothers and sisters, there are no persuasive reasons why we should depart from the clear meaning of the text. The opening chapters of Genesis record for us the history of creation revealed directly by the Lord himself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As God's people, we confess in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. When we make that confession, we are saying that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ created heaven and earth and everything in them ex nihilo, that is, out of nothing. And this mighty Father continues to uphold and rule the universe by his eternal counsel and providence. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. Brothers and sisters, the biblical doctrine of creation is summarized in the words of our text, Hebrews 11, verse 3. Have a look. We read it again. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. This morning I direct your attention to three things, a controversial doctrine, a compelling doctrine, and a Christ-centered doctrine. A controversial doctrine. In verse 3 of Hebrews 11, the writer states the issue plainly, without any confusion. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Despite the clear testimony of Genesis... And the clear confirmation of Genesis in other parts of the Bible, including Hebrews 11:3, 3, there are, there are those who continue to debate the questions regarding the origin of the universe. The famous German mathematician Athanasius Kircher had a friend who denied the existence of God. 
Kircher placed an expensive, very detailed and beautiful globe of the world in a spot where his friend could not help but see it. When his friend entered the room, his eye was immediately drawn to the globe. After observing it closely and admiring its detail, he asked Mr. Kircher, where did you get that beautiful globe? Who made it? Kircher replied, that globe is very remarkable. It was not made by anyone. It formed itself entirely by chance. It just happened. The visitor was rather perplexed. Mr. Kircher said, I know it's most remarkable, but it's true. This globe developed by itself, purely on its own. His friend stared at him and said, that's ridiculous. Mr. Kircher responded, why do you state my belief that this model developed by chance to be ridiculous when it is only a minute, feeble, non-functioning resemblance of the actual heavenly bodies which you believe developed purely on their own without a master creator? You see, brothers and sisters, despite the evidence all around us of a master designer, and despite the clear testimony of Scripture that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, there are numerous people who refuse to accept God's account of the creation of the universe. Why is it that some people are fascinated by the question of UFOs and intelligent life on other planets? Many scientists speculate about such possibilities. Movies, television shows, and New Age religions have promoted this idea. There are tales of flying saucers and encounters with aliens. There are people who claim to have been abducted by aliens. That claim has been made by some 4 million Americans. And there are about 150 reported sightings of UFOs worldwide every day. Where does this fascination with UFOs and life on other planets come from? Around the world, researchers have scanned the sky looking for signals from intelligent beings. Why? Well, because if life supposedly evolved here on Earth, then surely it may have evolved elsewhere in the universe as well. If man has come into existence through the process of evolution on this planet, then why could a similar thing not happen on other planets? The fascination with UFOs is largely the result of evolutionary speculation and evolutionary presuppositions. It is said that the U.S. government has spent millions of taxpayers' dollars listening out there for signs of intelligent life. Evolutionary humanists like the late Carl Sagan passionately believe that intelligent life has evolved out there in addition to Earth. Brothers and sisters, besides the existence of angels and demons, the Bible gives no indication that there are extraterrestrial beings that exist, exist elsewhere in our universe and that aliens are going to visit us someday. While God could create life any place he desired, he has not revealed it to us. It was to earth that Jesus came to save sinners. 
Scripture tells us that earth was formed to be inhabited and the other celestial bodies were created for signs, seasons, days, and years and created to proclaim God's glory. But those who have embraced the false presuppositions of evolution are easily fascinated by the suggestion of life on other planets. Many have embraced views that are far more difficult to believe than the biblical doctrine of creation. Congregation, when you accept evolutionary presuppositions, you can be led in all kinds of strange directions. I was reminded of that a number of years ago when PETA captured the attention of the media. As most of you probably know, PETA stands for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. At that time, maybe you remember this, they were promoting a campaign called Holocaust on Your Plate. Remember that? Holocaust on Your Plate. They become well known for their views that animal rights are equal to or even more important than human rights. Their campaign, Holocaust on Your Plate, was designed to awaken people to the fact that the killing of chickens for human consumption is comparable to the atrocities of Nazi Germany. In fact, one representative of PETA told a reporter that the atrocities of Nazi Germany pale by comparison to the killing of animals for food. Six million Jews died in concentration camps, but six billion broiler chickens will die this year in slaughterhouses. I once heard a representative of PETA say on the radio that the slaughter of chickens is just as repulsive as the wholesale slaughter of humans. And when the interviewer challenged him saying, chickens are animals, he replied, we are all animals. We are all animals. He thought it was perfectly legitimate to compare the slaughter of Jews in the Holocaust to the chicken on your plate. Brothers and sisters, that kind of madness is rooted in the presupposition that humans are simply the product of evolution. Humans are on the same level as all the other animals. As the founder of PETA once said, I quote, there is no rational basis for saying that a human being has special rights. A rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. A rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. Such a twisted belief system is the logical byproduct of evolutionary theory. These radical animal rights advocates maintain that killing animals for food is the moral equivalent of murder and eating meat is likened to cannibalism. The biblical doctrine of creation, on the other hand, asserts that man is not on the same level as a rat, a pig, a dog, or a chicken. We did not get here by a natural evolutionary process. No, man is uniquely created in the image of God and made to reflect and mirror the glory of his creator. The first chapter of the Bible tells us who made the world, how it was made, and what the difference is between man and animals. 
can you think of anything clearer regarding the origin of the universe and the uniqueness of man than what we find in the first chapter of Genesis? Every person who reads it is faced with some questions. Do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth or not? Do you believe that man is made in the image of God or not? Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth or not? Do you believe that the universe and everything in it was created by a loving and personal God or not? Do you believe that his revelation concerning the origin of the universe is accurate or not? Brothers and sisters, it seems to me that one of the reasons this doctrine is so controversial is because sinners do not want to accept the fact that we are morally accountable to any higher being. The opposition to the creation account in Genesis is not because the record is unclear. It's because rebellious sinners do not want to acknowledge the supreme authority of God, forsake their sin, and acknowledge Him as Lord over all. Once you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, you're acknowledging His authority over your life. Your maker is your master. Your creator is your king. You must submit to His lordship. And that is precisely what rebellious sinners do not want. The defiant human heart demands autonomy. By nature, we want to do our own thing in our own way. By embracing the theory of evolution, people are able to push God out of the picture. And when God is removed from the equation, man becomes the ultimate authority. We determine our own standard, pursue our own ambitions, and do whatever is right in our own eyes. We have no one telling us what to do, how to live our life. When you embrace the theory of evolution, you are able to conclude that there is no judgment no day of reckoning, no almighty creator to whom you must give account. So first of all, the doctrine of creation is a controversial doctrine, not pleasing to the fallen, natural, sinful, autonomous, self-governing human heart. But secondly, while it may be a controversial doctrine, it is also a compelling doctrine for those whose eyes have been opened by the Spirit of God. A compelling doctrine. Our text says, Hebrews 11:3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed, formed by the Word of God. How do we come to understand and embrace the creation account as recorded in Genesis? By faith. By faith. By faith we understand. You were not there when the world was formed. I was not there. In Job 38 verse 4, the Lord says, where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? We were not there. Yet we can have complete confidence that what God has said 
is true. God grants his children the gift of faith to believe his word and to see his glory in the world that he has made. The gift of faith makes all the difference. As we look around us at this complex universe by faith, we see God's fingerprints everywhere. We see his fingerprints on the trees. Crops, the winter snow, the rivers and lakes. We see his fingerprints on the clouds, mountains, and on every animal. We see his fingerprints on our flower gardens, house plants, vegetable gardens, and on our fields and forests. We see his fingerprints on a newborn child, upon every man, woman, boy, and girl. When David was a shepherd on the hillsides of Bethlehem, he looked up into the sky at night, and what did he see, children? What did he see? He saw the fingerprints of God on the moon and stars, and he was filled with praise. By the Spirit of God, he wrote Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The heavens declare the glory of God. In Psalm 8, David said, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? David saw the fingerprints of God in all the earth. Every time he looked into the sky, they were plain to see. Brothers and sisters, that should be true for every Christian. The difference between those who see and those who do not see is the gift of faith. One person looks at a tree and all he sees is wood, bark, branches, and leaves. Another person looks at a tree and he's filled with wonder for he sees in that tree the greatness of his Creator. Have you ever seen one of those pictures containing a 3D image? We were at my sister's place this past summer, and they had a book full of these pictures with 3D images. When you look at the surface of the picture, all you see is some color patterns, nothing special. But some people are able to let their eyes focus more deeply or distantly. And when they do, they see a horse, an eagle, or some other picture. Some stare at the picture and see nothing at all. They hold it at an angle, they hold it close, or they hold it far away, but all they see is the color pattern on the surface. They cannot see the 3D image. Someone may tell them that there is a horse in the picture, but they can't see it. And so it is, brothers and sisters, when it comes to the creation of the world. Believer and unbeliever can look at the same tree the unbeliever sees only the surface of the tree, the bark, branches, and leaves. The believer, however, sees more deeply. For him, the tree proclaims the glory and majesty of God. We all look at the same creation, but some see and others don't. 
We may read the same Bible and you see, but your unbelieving friend does not. The difference between one and the other is what? The gift of faith. For those who receive that gift, the fingerprints of God come clearly into focus. For those who don't receive it, the fingerprints of God are hidden from their eyes. Faith enables you to see the beauty, majesty, goodness, and power of God in all that He has written and in all that He has made. It enables you to see below the surface so that the glory of God is clearly displayed before your eyes. When you look, when you look at the complex design of a woodpecker who could tear chunks out of a tree with his beak, who can hammer wood at the rate of 15 to 16 times per second without getting a concussion, a rate of fire nearly twice as fast as a submachine gun, a living jackhammer, whose head is traveling at more than twice the speed of a bullet. When you look at that with eyes of faith, then you can only say with David, how excellent is your name in all the earth. What an amazing designer. When you look at the design of a common ant, who are able to lift as much as 50 times their own weight, who are able to work non-stop, building their homes, searching for food, removing obstacles. When you look at an ant through the eyes of faith, then you can only say with David, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Congregation, when the Lord gives eyes of faith, the doctrine of creation is compelling and overwhelming. Can God create the world in six days as recorded in Genesis 1? He could have done it in six seconds, but he chose to do it in six days. Were they six ordinary days? Are there any good biblical reasons to believe anything other than what is clearly communicated in Genesis 1? Why should we doubt the literal sense of the opening chapters of the Bible? In a book on the Westminster Confession, one theologian said this, I quote, For most of my teaching career, I considered the framework hypothesis to be a possibility. The framework hypothesis teaches that Genesis 1 is not historical fact, but rather poetic. For most of my teaching career, I considered the framework hypothesis to be a possibility, but I have now changed my mind. I now hold to a literal six-day creation. Genesis says that God created the, the universe and everything in it in six 24-hour periods. According to the Reformation hermeneutic, the first option is to follow the plain sense of the text. One must do a great deal of hermeneutical gymnastics to escape the plain meaning of Genesis 1 and 2. The confession makes it a point of faith that God created the world in the space of six days. One must do a great deal of hermeneutical gymnastics to escape the plain meaning of Genesis 1 and 2. Congregation, 
by faith, we accept what God has written. If we doubt the literal sense of the narrative in Genesis, what would keep us from doubting the miracles of the prophets and the apostles? And what about the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? No, there is no good reason to depart from six literal days. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11, God tells us that he deliberately took six days and rested for one as a pattern for man. Why is our week made up of seven days, children? Why is our week made up of seven days? Why not an an even number like 10 as the number of our fingers and toes? Some secular historians would argue that the seven-day week originated with the ancient Babylonians around the 6th century BC. They did so based on the number of visible celestial bodies that they could observe at the time, which happened to be seven. But according to Scripture, the seven-day week was established by God from the very beginning. He decided to create in six days and rest on the seventh as a pattern for us to follow. The seven-day week goes back to Genesis 1. It has no basis for existing except from Scripture. Brothers and sisters, how do we comprehend the biblical doctrine of creation? By faith. By faith, we understand Believe what he has written and see his fingerprints everywhere. Thank God for the gift of faith. And I submit to you, congregation, that the biblical doctrine of creation is also a Christ-exalting doctrine. Point number three, a Christ-exalting doctrine. The writer of Hebrews says in our text... By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. According to verse 3, God not only created the world, but he created the worlds. Worlds is sometimes translated universe. The universe was formed by the word of God. By faith, we believe that God created not only the visible world, but also the invisible world. Not only what we see, but also what we don't see. And he made it in such a way that everything brings glory to him. Our text says that he made it all simply by what? His word. That is just what we find in Genesis 1. Then God said, let there be light. Then God said, let there be a firmament. Then God said, let the waters be gathered together, and so on. Last week, we turned to Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. God created everything by his word. The universe was formed at his command. Our text says that he created ex nihilo, out of nothing. The things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. He spoke the universe into existence. Children, when he spoke, 
mature and fully developed trees came into existence. Full-grown cows, sheep, bears, and dinosaurs came into existence. When he spoke, large and small, fully developed sea creatures appeared. Out of nothing, God created fruit-bearing trees, graceful birds to fly above the heavens, elephants to roam the land, and millions of bright stars. Out of nothing, he formed a universe that was beautiful, mature, and fully functional. Now, why do I say that it is a Christ-exalting doctrine? It is certainly a God-exalting doctrine, but why is it also a Christ-exalting doctrine? Because John 1 says Jesus Christ is the Word. And what does Paul say in Colossians 1? For by Him, by Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Christ and for Christ. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Paul said, by Christ all things were created. So is this not a Christ-exalting doctrine? As you ponder the wonders of creation, does it not cause you to stand in awe of God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity? We say with the hymn writer, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. We ponder the mighty work of creation, creation by the word, creation out of nothing. It humbles us and reminds us of the greatness of the God we worship and serve. And then to think, congregation, that this glorious God who set the stars in place, who created the solar system, who formed the oceans and beasts of the field, this glorious, omnipotent God invites you into fellowship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, is your God and Father for the sake of Christ His Son. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown where? In our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God who created the world by the power of His Word has recreated a people for Himself. As he made light at creation where there was no light, so today his powerful word brings light to those who are in spiritual darkness. 
by the grace and mercy of God, you may have fellowship with the creator of the universe. You may call upon him and speak to him in prayer. Through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, you may look forward to the glory of the Lord that will be most wonderfully displayed in the new creation. We read in 2 Peter chapter 3 that the heavens and the earth that now exist are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But the day of the Lord will so come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. But then Peter goes on to say, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for what? New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The creation account in Genesis reveals to us the glory of God, the glory of Christ. But how much greater it will be when he displays his glory in the new heavens and the new earth. When we observe the intricacies of creation, we stand amazed. But how much more glorious will it be for the redeemed in the new creation? If you think this world, if you think this world stained and marred by sin is beautiful, imagine what it will be like in the new creation where sin is no more. God's beautiful creation has been tarnished through the sin of Adam. Scripture says that all creation groans. We see the effects of sin throughout the universe. But a day is coming when our mighty creator is going to make all things new. Those who are justified by faith in Jesus Christ will inherit the glory of the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And in that new creation, you will never cease to marvel at the glory, majesty, and power of God and your Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Congregation, the mighty God who created the world and still upholds it by his eternal counsel and providence is going to speak again. And when he does, the redeemed will experience joy unspeakable in a sinless world. We will worship our maker and redeemer with hearts overflowing with praise. And so I ask you this morning, by faith, do you see the glory of God and the glory of Christ in creation? And do you look forward to the new creation where that glory will be most beautifully displayed? Do you believe that the worlds were framed by the word of God out of nothing? And do you believe that this beautiful world that was marred by sin is going to be completely renewed, cleansed, and perfected? Are you confident that in Jesus Christ, the Savior sent of the Father, are you confident that the joys, blessings, and privileges of the new creation are yours? 
Dear friends, it is only in Christ that you can face the future with eager anticipation. The heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. But those who are righteous in Christ will celebrate forever in the place that God is preparing for his own. God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, will dwell with his people in the new creation. And with one voice, along with the 24 elders in Revelation, we will praise him saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. You created all things, and you are worthy to receive all glory. You believe that? Let us pray. Lord our God, we pray that you will give to each and every one of us that gift of faith, eyes to see your glory displayed throughout the universe. Through that gift of faith, will you give to each one of us the ability to clearly see your fingerprints everywhere we go. And then, Lord, through that gift of faith, Bring us all to our knees in adoration, worship. We're living at a time where these things are largely scorned. But, O oh Lord, may we hold fast to our confession. May we hold fast to what you have revealed. May we not waver from it. May we find great pleasure in it. May we all, Lord, through that gift of faith, trusting in your Son, Jesus Christ, may we look forward with eager anticipation to the new creation where there will be eternal, unspeakable joys for the redeemed of the Lord. We thank you for the plan of redemption. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and giving yourself to the cross bearing our punishment, winning the victory so that we may share the joy of the new creation. May each and every one of us here truly put our faith and trust in that finished work on Calvary's cross. And then may we remember that as beautiful as this world may be, this is not our home that through the cross, something better awaits us. And so, Lord, may we already now join those in glory, saying you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created.
Receive our praises as we conclude this service. May we all be strengthened in our faith as we interact with each other in the fellowship hall. Hear us, Lord God, in the name of your Son. Amen.